0: From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate, We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guest, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Peace. I'm your host, Olivia Ashe, and today we are diving into the first of a three-part series focusing on women in the law. Our first guest of the series is Loyola alum, Christina Wilson, a now practicing lawyer in sports and entertainment law with offices in Detroit and California. Christina's journey to and through law school is powerful, bold, and one of perseverance. Let's start from the beginning.
1: We'll go all the way back to the beginning. Go so way back. I grew, yeah. I grew up in Detroit, uh, and not like suburban Detroit. I grew up on the west side of Detroit, on Joy Road and Livernois, and then Seven Mile Evergreen. Like I grew up in the hood, hood of Detroit. So, um, but I was a little unique, a little different. Um, my family, um, I'm the first one to really graduate from high school. Um, so. They had it in their mind, you're going to college before I knew like you had to go to high school and all those other things before you went to college. <laughs> so um I remember um, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer when I was eight years old.
0: Eight years because, old.
1: Because, yes, my mom was like, you can be the first black female president of the United States. And instead, like, you know how kids just kind of like, oh, yeah, Mike, you're right. No, I believed her. I was like, what does the president do? <laughs> <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, okay, the president, they they institute law. So I gotta know the law. I'm gonna be a lawyer and then I'm going to advocate and turn into a politician and become president. That literally was my dream until my senior year, of, junior, senior year of high school. Wow. Okay. So I was preparing my entire life. To be what Kamala is today, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> yeah. <true. laughs> um, so, and we still don't have was, the first
0: Black woman president, so that you know, there's still oh a gap no, there that, that that is that could be not
1: <laughs> that is not my cup of tea. I have learned how politics and the law and everything works in the United States. I'd rather be a multi-millionaire knocking on billionaire type of person that can lobby and put the proper people that have the stomach to do politics because mm-hmm. you call me out my name call me a monkey <laughs> or something like that like Obama and Michelle they I give them all types of props because if they would have called me half of the things that they called them True. they would have saw all the other side of me that nobody should see that hood side would have came out because <laughs> you call me a monkey is a problem so <laughs> but um literally it was until high school. And by then I had, like you said, I was an athlete. I've been an athlete pretty much my whole life. I started off cheerleading. I didn't really like cheerleading, but they made me because I was a girl. Right. We could go into that whole soliloquy of what they try to tell you, you should be. Uh, I actually wanted to be a football player in high school and in middle school, but they wouldn't let me because I was a girl. They made me a cheerleader but I was always tall too. I hit my growth spurt at 12. So I was like 5'8", 5'9", at 12. So I started playing basketball and I played AAU basketball, played basketball in high school. And then I started running track in high school, actually became really, really good at track and field. And I thought I was going to the Olympics, but I got hurt my freshman year of college and that ended. But it was just like, I knew my family couldn't afford to send me to college, so um, it was go to college by any means. So I maintained almost a 4.0 grade point average like most of my academic career. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I knew they didn't play that, so had to be in a lot of extracurricular activities. I did everything that you could to get a scholarship, and what was so crazy is I almost didn't. I was so close to having to join the military. It wasn't even funny because it's just like affirmative action was um, banned in the state of Michigan the year I graduated from high school. So, or it was banned year, in the
0: state of Michigan. Yeah.
1: So the oh, uh, I think what is the name of that case? The University of Michigan Law School case that y'all learn about uh, about right. affirmative action, and the University of Michigan undergraduate case was the in 2005 2006 time i graduated high school in 2007. so that was around that decision was made and the laws were implemented when i was applying for college so they reconsidered all of our applications it was so surreal learning about that in law school too <laughs> i was like that i was, was like, like i lived it. It. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they banned affirmative action so they had to reconsider everyone's um applications and So it took me forever for on-site, it took me four months to get accepted to Michigan because they had to redo their entire um, process on analyzing students. I still got in, but what people failed to realize is that affirmative action not only affects your admission into school, it affects your financial uh, circumstances that allow you to get scholarships. And so I had the grades. I graduated high school with a 3.8 grade point average. I had... It's crazy. I didn't. I wasn't a great tester. Like uh, I hyperventilated when I took the ACT because I'm a first generation college. Right. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like my whole life depends on this. On this one
0: test. This, I, one, I, test. this oh. one
1: test. I I was a, like, it was so crazy. I was about to pass out. <laughs> I had to take it three times just to get the 22 that I needed for the full ride that I ended up eventually getting. But I was denied for my um, a scholarship at Bowling Green. But I, had, I fell in love with the campus I went and, you know, being from Michigan, I had gotten into Michigan, Michigan State, uh, University of Minnesota had been recruiting me since I was in the ninth grade. And then I got into Hampton because I went, of course, black college tour. Yeah, I fell in yeah. love with that. But there was some policy about not wearing braids. At Hampton? Could do that. Yeah, it, was, and it was different.
0: That's a whole nother conversation.
1: Whole yeah. nother conversation. <laughs> but, but yeah, so when I went to Bowling Green and I, of course, you know, when you're applying for colleges, you're looking for a major. And that was George Bush was president at the time. And that's when it really hit me. I do not have the stomach to be president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So by then I had, I was an athlete. I had worked, uh, I was in the business professionals of America. I had did a trade school in addition to my high school with the Academy of Finance. So I really had grown to love business. And so I'm like, how can I combine law and business together? And then I was looking through college applications for Bowling Green and for Hampton and all these other schools and I saw sport management as a uh, major and I was like oh yeah sport (laughs) management what so I was like I looked up sports management and that's when I saw you can become a sports agent represent athletes and entertainers and things of that nature and I was like all right that's what I want to do. Want to do. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's when I uh, found out that Bowling Green was the top school in the country for um, at the time for sport management because it was still a relatively new major. So, yeah, I decided to uh, apply, and that was my major. And it's so crazy because Bowling Green was so specialized that it was a five year program, and I had been denied for my scholarship. I was like, it was. It was just so crazy because it's like I was denied for my scholarship. I graduated school at the age of 17 because my birthday is July 26th. I'm in the summer. So the money was due to the universities on my 18th birthday. So it was like, how am I going to pay for school when I can't legally take out a loan? And then, of course, I'm from a family that doesn't have a lot of means. So it's not as if they can take out loans on my behalf. So how am I going to go to college when I have a 4.0? I'm a 4.0 grade right. point average. I'm graduating top, top 10% of all Detroit public school students. It's ridiculously hard to get an athletic scholarship. Um, Coming from a DPS system because a lot of the times they don't recruit outside of basketball and football uh, because a lot of students are a track athlete. Yep. Exactly. So it was just, it was hard, but thank God uh, I was praying and all types of stuff. And I got reconsidered for my scholarship and I ended up getting it. And so, yeah, I was literally on my way to church and was blessed with a full ride scholarship to Bowling Green State University. And I knew already knew what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to go to law school afterwards. And I made the most of it. I was part of the Pre-Law Society Sports yeah. Management Alliance. I was a part of the, uh, my scholarship was through the President's Leadership, Sydney A. Rabo President's Leadership Academy, uh full-ride scholarship through the Thompson's uh, Foundation. I had an amazing experience, but I had to manage working, doing right. a job, for, uh, making sure, like I graduated magnum cum laude. So I had a 3.8 grade point average in, in college. I turned a five-year program into a four-year program. So I took a lot of 18 credit hour semesters uh, because my scholarship only covered four years. So it was just a lot of hustle, a lot of grinding because the dream was to get to law school and I had to do it because I'm the first in my family. I had to be the one that that broke that curse. So in 2011, I graduated uh, magna cum laude from Bowling Green State University with a bachelor's of science in education in human development, which te- is a long way of saying I had a sports business degree. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, was it, and the crazy thing is my test anxiety, as smart as I am, my test anxiety did not disappear. Uh, I I actually mentor a lot of pre-law students and law students right now and I tell them it's not how you start it's how you finish because on my going into law school Loyola did not need to accept me I had the high GPA but man that LSAT score was terrible like I had a 146 the first time and then I took it again and got a 143 I was not a good test taker but Loyola took a chance on me I applied to 18 schools I, I bought the books. I did what I could, but I had to work too. It was just so crazy trying to manage everything, but Loyola took a chance on me. And I will never forget that one day when I am the multimillionaire that I plan to be and these student loans are paid off, then I will be able <laughs> to donate somebody to the university that took a chance on me. Because I got waitlisted to like, all the top sports law programs, Tulane, Marquette. I got waitlisted to Emory, all of these schools, but I got accepted to Valparaiso and then I got accepted to Loyola Chicago. And I was like, I literally actually called, uh, one of a very good sports lawyer and, uh, he was a alum of Valparaiso and I told him my situation. He told me to go to Loyola and that ended up being some of the best advice I got because when I went to Loyola, no, Loyola is not known as a sports law school. I actually think it's only five, maybe six of us that practice sports law that have graduated from Loyola law. And and it's so crazy because it's like <laughs> my professors got me in contact with everybody else before me that practiced in this field. I remember my first day of law school, I went up to Dean Falk into his office and told him, this is what I want to do. He was like, "You don't want to have time to think about this." I was like, "No, I want to be his sports law. This is what I want to do." And because his daughter was on the basketball team at uh, uh, Loyola at the time, he got um, my first internship was uh, in the athlete compliance department um, the following year. So, and it was because I developed that relationship. and was bold enough to just walk into his office and like this. So I just
0: want to, it? I just want to peg that for any prospective student or current student who's listening. You went up to Dean Phi and said, "This is what I want to do," and built that relationship from day one.
1: I am a bold person. I am a very bold person. I walk. I my biggest advice for the prospective students or any student college under uh, undergrad, high school, uh, law school. Your professor should know who you are. The dean mm-hmm. should know who you are. Like one thing, uh, you probably have figured out in researching me before this podcast is almost everybody at that university that I was there with knows who I am, including Sister Jean. She knows who I am too. That's pretty much the path I took, and I got to Loyola with grit and hard work. So, this is this was wasn't the questions that I
0: asked, but um, any reflections, I guess, at this point, you know, you're at Loyola, you, you've gotten in you're in law school, what's going on in the background with your family? I'm, I'm sure they're cheering you on, but you still, are still—are you still feeling that pressure to like not just make it through law school, but make it through well and get to exactly where you want to be?
1: So I know that this is not going to be politically correct, but I've never sugarcoated that I quit law school every single day I was in law school mm-hmm. from the day I started. Law school, unfortunately, isn't built for minorities. It's not built for first year generation students. It's built for the legacies that come. And I had classmates that were sixth generation lawyers. Yes. They knew how to brief cases. They knew what legal research was. They knew things that I didn't know, no matter how many prep courses I took. I took, like I did a, a jump start program. That's actually how I met my closest mentor that I have, who's like my sister. Um, and she actually lives in LA now. It's crazy. Uh, but she was like my sister. I met her. She's from Detroit. We have almost identically the same story, but me five years behind her. And I met her in a jumpstart program. And no matter how much advice they gave, it did not prepare me for what law school was. And the stress. Law school is meant to break you. It's not meant to like, like every last step of it changes how you think. It changes how you move. It changes everything. So I was not prepared for that. Now, my family... I learned back in the third grade, they couldn't help me academically. Like a lot of them, their reading levels and things of that nature wasn't up to par because that's just the systems that we grew up in, unfortunately. But man, they were there emotionally because literally I am not joking. I called right. home every day. and was like, I quit. I want to leave. I do not want to deal with this anymore. Especially like even though Loyola had a big, we had a large African-American class compared to other law schools when I was there. I think we at the time had the second largest African-American class, but even then we're still very competitive. We still are all trying to get to where we wanted to go. We still had to deal with the Socratic method and all types of mess that law school brought. So. Yeah. You get homesick. At the time I had a boyfriend that was in another state doing God knows what, and that was stressing me <laughs> out. So it was just, it was so much stuff going on outside of just law school. Cause it's a game. It was like playing. It's like law school for me was like playing a monopoly game and never knowing the instructions. Yeah, And I had to learn the rules of the game while I was playing the game. And so my first semester at Loyola and I'm I'm glad you picked me as somebody because it's not, I wasn't the top 10% of my class. Hell, I don't know where my rank is. <laughs> <laughs> the class of really I don't know where it is, but my first semester, I got a 2.7 grade point average. That's the lowest GPA I've ever seen in my life in law school. I was like, I cried. I was like, yeah. what? I was like what is this? Like, And they make you
0: feel like it's over. Like. If you, yes. if you, they make you feel like if you don't get the highest grade point average, if you're not up there, then it's over. You're pretty much oh, done. Man. You might as well I just can't. stop. You're not getting no you're job. Ain't right. they, nobody writing you no letters of recommendation. You might as well just mosey on, count your losses. and.
1: But I am not that person. So I knew that because of the type of law I wanted to practice, I wasn't going into big law anyway. Like, of course, it would be beautiful. But most big law firms don't practice sports and entertainment. I knew that in my field in particularly, I needed to stand out and people need to know who I am. So now as a practicing professional, there are things I could have done even more while I was in law school, but I didn't know because I didn't have those resources. But um, man, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. So one one thing is I, I, I have an ego, but I don't I'm not prideful with it. So when I realized I had a 2.7, and Lord knows, to this day, it took me taking the bar in California to fully start understanding civil um you took the bar procedure. in
0: California, right? Cause that's where you're practicing. California yeah. bar is one of the hardest bars. Oh, we're
1: gonna get into that story too. Like oh. it's just a mess with that one. But, like, but yeah, like um I've learned civil procedure. As a practicing attorney, not in law school, I still am confused as to how, i was like, how (laughs) did I? And then, oh, don't get me started on property. Those two classes were in my first semester. And I'm like, and so I got a C plus in both of those classes. So I needed help. Yeah. (laughs) Because all I had learned was- personal jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction. I didn't know venue or anything else because it's like I didn't know what to focus on. I didn't right. know how to study. I We would get these big old outlines and you focus mm-hmm. on the stuff that you remembered the most and you forget everything else and then by the time you get to the test you can't even identify what the what hypothetical the is asking yep. you. So what I did is, you know, Loyola like I give Loyola props because some law schools, if you're not up to par grade wise, they just cut you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Loyola allows you To get your GPA up by having a Remedial program the crazy part is My GPA was low but it wasn't low enough To be a part of that program I wasn't in The bottom third of my class right? But I still wasn't in the top Of anything so I Went to the head of the remedial Program and asked them did they have any spots Available and they're like You voluntarily want to be a part Of this program I'm like clearly there's some stuff I don't know so Yeah, I was a part of the remedial program because I needed to know how does law school work. That's how I got through. I went from a 2.7 to a 3.0 just by joining that program. So I went from a 2.7 to a 3.5 grade point average. Mm -hmm. And it was so crazy. I got a 3.5 and I got a Cali award in my advocacy class. So the... The ability to, if
0: people don't know what the Cali Award is, that's like getting the highest grade in the class. The highest grade in the class. Our listeners, yes.
1: Yes. Advocacy. Literally, I can write my butt off, and that's exactly what happened. So, the the moral of the story that 2 7 start my last semester, and I wanted people to know I didn't skate off my last semester. I actually took. 17 credit hours my last semester of law school because i wanted to be prepared for the bar because knowing right. i have yeah. test anxiety <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah. let's talk, all let's talk the about bar that credit. let's
0: talk about that last semester and uh, the bar experience
1: man it was a mess man like <laughs> because <laughs> i knew that the bar was going to be difficult and of course you go through character and fitness uh you're uh, 2L year going into your 3L year. So my 3L year, I took a lot of classes. I took bar prep classes. I took contract drafting classes and I actually took trial practice one, did the uh, the intensive and then did trial practice two, uh, because I was so close to getting a trial certificate. And I actually had a job offer from a litigation firm, mm-hmm. but, and I thought that was going to be my way in because my cousin is a lawyer. She worked at a firm. She helped me get a summer job. I killed it. It was I was only supposed to be her clerk and end up clerking for her boss and everything like that. So I grinded it out. But the issue that uh, came from that was like they they started getting real iffy with the job offer when you want to accept it when you haven't passed the bar yet. So right. that's where the whole challenge to trade thing came in. I interviewed for it, but It was so crazy because your third year, everyone's like trying to get those jobs or trying to boost their GPA. I ended up uh, that last semester got a three eight grade point average. The class that got me, the class that got me in trouble. Remember, we were talking off a line about the polar vortexes that year, right?
0: Oh, yep, yep. So
1: a lot of classes were canceled. because it was negative 15 degrees outside and people could get frostbite for trying to come to class so, right. so I remember it got so bad that they were like you can't skip any classes any more classes because then it because be of the polar vortex semester. Right. so it was like it was a trial uh pre-trial litigation was the class I got a B in that semester everything else I had a all A's and a dang old B and I was like, really. The one class I really don't—I only took because it's a part of the prerequisites for this dang on trial certificate, and that's gonna cost me my four point oh. Like, but um, my our professors are so wonderful because um, my family law professor, she—I um, told her I had a job interview that happened during my final exam for Challenge Detroit. I had Challenge Detroit is a is a a program that allows you to give back to the city of Detroit and use your talents and um, to be able to give back to the city. And of course, that's my home. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to go home and help. Mary Bird sent me an email because it's a low paying job. It was a fellowship It's 36,000 a year for a year, but you got to work. And I saw the Detroit lions. I saw a few sports, um, like teams there. So I was like, okay, this could be a way to be able to work into my field. I'll take the hit financially and be able to give back to my city and gain some valuable experience. So uh it's a whole thing. So I had to make a video and and get that and then make it on to the next round and write an essay and then get approval and like letters of recommendation. I made it to the final round round and you have to go to the interview. It's an in-person two Or three-day interview where you have to go- So you had
0: to fly to Detroit.
1: Yes. And what was so crazy is that interview filmed during my final exams in law school. But like I said, my professors knew exactly who I am. They knew the type of person I am. And my family law professor let me take my exam separate from my class so I can make that uh, job interview.
0: And so that's the beauty of letting them know who you are. Let them know you're serious about the class, serious about learning, because then when you need that favor or whatever's come up, I was they're more inclined to know. I was one of
1: pupils. I got yeah. an A in her class. <laughs> so yeah, she helped. She, uh, she really had my back and I went, I got that job and I came back and I aced that final. Yes. So it was just so amazing. Like, and then of course, like, I'm not gonna i I'm not gonna give you all the, the freebies that come with graduating law school because I want you to be surprised about the law school ceremony. I promise you you will cry. I quit law school the day I was graduating because I was running late, had to get my hair done, had to deal with Chicago traffic, get right. to the north side. I was I was like, I'm done. And my mom's like, and my family wasn't with me. They all met me at the school. Thirty people from my family traveled and it's not just my family, like right. some of my, my best friend, her mom came, my pastor came, I had some of my advisors from my undergraduate program drove from Bowling Green, Ohio to Chicago to watch wow. me graduate from law yeah. school, because that's how big of an accomplishment this was. This was a combination of years of sacrifice and dedication, blood, sweat, and tears. And they all showed up for me. And my butt was like. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course. Oh. It's an accomplishment for the whole community. Yeah. You're the whole community that surrounded you that entire time.
1: Oh, you can tell my granddad, my mom, nothing. Like, man, it was an amazing experience. But you only get to enjoy it for like two days. Because literally, moved back home. Got home. Got my apartment. Started studying for the Michigan Bar. Uh, but literally, I was studying for the Bar and it just, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I took these, I was taking Kaplan and I remember getting to the middle of it. They, they do a pretest. They do a final uh, test at the end, but they do a midterm test. And I tested so low that uh, on my midterm test, cause I fell asleep. It was so, it was so tough. Cause you're getting up really early and you, you, you don't know what to eat. You don't like, I literally can write a book on the intangible things you need to know about studying for the bar because it's stuff, it's stuff that people don't think about. Like, you know, all black people know the itis, right? Absolutely. You know, you, you're going to eat something and it's going to knock you out. My butt ate pizza, two slices of pizza. That's not a lot of food. I ate two slices of pizza and that two slices of pizza was enough carbohydrates to knock me out doing a two hundred uh, question, uh, and of course it's one hundred questions in the morning, one hundred questions in the afternoon. If you eat two slices of the pizza, it's hard to read a hundred multiple choice questions. So I would, I I had forty unanswered questions on because I was exhausted. I had no stamina to be able to complete the MBE. And so I had to reevaluate what is going on with me. Cause if I continue like this and I do what they tell me to do, I'm going to fill the bar. So you have to adapt bar prep to yourself. Mm -hmm. And what so many people do, we follow like cookie cutter instructions on how you're supposed to study. And that doesn't work for everyone. I'm not a morning person or at the time I wasn't. Now I have no choice because it's not enough hours in the day. But, um, so I switched from in-person classes to online classes, which cut out my hour commute that I had to drive, uh, to class. That gave me an hour more that I can sleep. So instead of getting up at five something in the morning or six something in the morning, I got up at seven something in the morning. I studied at home. I did, uh, I did the test questions. I watched the crazy videos. I did all of those things. I took breaks when I needed to. I took naps when I needed to. I catered to myself mentally and physically to make sure I was ready to do what I had to do. And then literally went in person and took that final exam. And my score went up tremendously, like over 35% higher. And they asked me, we have never seen someone jump this high. Um, on their bar prep. What did you do? I said, I made it work for me. And that's what I did. I developed my stamina and stuff, like literally. But that was the Michigan bar. And I ain't gonna lie to you. My Michigan bar experience was terrible because one, the air conditioning is always on blast. I don't so like cold. You're freezing while you're taking that test. So we dressing layers if you're taking the bar. Because <laughs> you can always take stuff off, but you cannot put stuff on. That you don't have, uh, yep. <laughs> that you don't have, right. And then, I don't know if you guys ever heard about the exam uh, soft kerfuffle of 2014 when the whole no. system shut down. So, we went to go upload our bar exam and we couldn't upload it. And no,
0: nobody told
1: us that you couldn't upload it because- of the system, you thought it was your computer. And if you don't have the bar, at least in Michigan and most states, if you don't have it uploaded by a certain time, you fail that portion. Right. Because the
0: they think you're cheating or whatever. Exactly.
1: It is. So we tried to upload and we tried for hours. And I'm sitting in my car crying buckets. It was already a bad experience because I didn't research the hotel. Uh, I just booked the hotel near the testing site and found out it was a Howard Johnson and was so filthy and stuff. And I have anxiety dealing with. I have OCD and I don't like bugs and stuff like that. I literally switched my hotel the night before, like let go of all the money I paid for the hotel and went into Lansing and got a best Western. And so I could sleep because I tried and I couldn't do it. It was so dirty. I just couldn't do it. So I already was on 10 and I took the exam and to think I was about to fail the exam because I couldn't upload my exam, not because I didn't know what I was doing. And in Michigan, you got 20-minute essays, 15, 20-minute essays, and you have Good thing I did take Secure Transactions, because that is actually on the Michigan bar. So, yeah, that was yeah. a mess. Oh. And <laughs> imagine doing a Secure Transactions essay in 20 minutes, and you have to do I, I don't IRA even know analysis. what Secure
0: Transactions is, so I can't imagine. Trust me, it's one of the hardest things.
1: It's one of the hardest classes you can take in law school. And it is on the Michigan bar. So I was already on 10 and I couldn't upload my exam. Literally, probably 10 o'clock, close to 10 o'clock that night, went on Twitter. I had people who were helping me study for the bar, calling exams off. And all you kept getting was uh, busy noises. It turns out their system crashed. And no one in the country could upload their exams. Unless you got through to them. And literally, I got through at like almost nine, o'clock, about nine, ten o'clock that night, got through. And they moved my exam from my computer remotely and uh, saved it. But mind you, that was day one of the test. And you still I have feel... to do
0: day two. So you have to I... wash all that, let it go, and, get some sleep. And go ahead and take
1: the MBA. And take... Yep. Yep. So I did not have a great bar experience, I would tell you that but I passed the Michigan bar the first time. And I'll never forget. I was at work. I was with Challenge Detroit. I got the job, was with Challenge Detroit and found that I passed the bar. And I was sworn in on my while I was working on my lunch break, went, was sworn in, came back to work. <laughs> and, uh, and I worked for Penske Racing. So I got a job working for Penske Racing and was able to help my community through Challenge Detroit. And because I had worked at Intersport, um, which was in law school, they threw me into the fire. I reviewed hundreds of contracts on that job. And Intersport is a marketing firm that puts like big companies with uh, sporting events and different things. So I've done mm-hmm. broadcasting deals, sponsorship deals, all types of deals. You had done all that line in line law school. In law school, did it line by line, went through all of those things because I worked under the vice president, and it was uh, Josie who got me mm-hmm. that job. Josie
0: Gough. Don't play. Yep. If you don't know jo- Josie, you need to know Josie.
1: You need to know Josie. One, Josie was Shaka Khan's attorney.
0: Now, yes. she never told me that. As many times as I've sat in her office, called her she on the was, phone, sent emails, she's never told me that.
1: But that's probably because you didn't tell her you wanted to go into entertainment. Well, that's so because that's true. Yeah. Because she knew I wanted to go into entertainment, she helped me leverage her connections in different places in Chicago and got me I worked for Eric Peterson at Intersport for my whole third year of law school. I can analyze contracts in my sleep because of that internship. Wow! So then when I got to the Grand Prix, I, the, mind you, Challenge Detroit wasn't specifically for lawyers. So, and I was being paid 36,000 a year. They, I, they brought me in for community relations because of my marketing background from my undergraduate degree. Right. But when I passed the bar, I became in-house counsel for the uh, Grand Prix working with the Pinsky Pinsky in-house counsel. And because I had such tremendous contract experience there, I w- did every contract that they had that went through it. I had eyes on it. I I secured their insurance. I ins- secured their vendors. I Can did I just
0: pause it. real quick? Did you imagine in law school you're working at your externship, whatever. You get challenged Detroit not even as a legal um fellow at the time but all that stuff prepared you for exactly where you needed to be did you yeah. imagine that was going to happen could you have vision that or made that up wish that i mean that's incredible no,
1: but it's like i knew what i wanted to do and because you know what you want to do you get mm-hmm. into situations that prepare you you develop the relationships that can prepare you so literally going into that internship by time I finished my fellowship, because they didn't renew um, it, because they would have to pay me as a lawyer then. And right, it was a, little a little bit more than thirty-six thousand. A little bit more than thirty-six thousand. So they didn't renew it, and then unfortunately, Detroit hadn't rebounded from hell at that time. That was twenty fifteen. People graduating from top law schools were having troubles getting jobs right. because we were still rebounding from a recession. So. I had applied to a hundred and some odd jobs, but because they saw I had just graduated from law school, they right. didn't a lot of those jobs were going to people who had five, ten years experience. So I started my own firm and I had enough confidence to do that because I had reviewed two hundred, three hundred types of different agreements in my field. That is and
0: bold to start your own firm basically straight out of was, law school.
1: It was necessity. It was sink right. or swim. I figured either I would Either I would be so good that someone would hire me or I would be so good that I would I would get so many clients I wouldn't need to be hired. Mm-hmm. And the latter ended up happening. So what ended up happening for me was I had a lot of relationships from high school, college, and stuff. And it turns out Detroit is a big music city. So I ended up becoming a music attorney. I talked to my mentor, Joy. She had told me about the Black Entertainment Sports Lawyers Association, Beesla. One of the things I wish I would have known, if you want to go into entertainment, you need to be a part of Beesla. Period. I mm-hmm. wish I would have known that in law school because then I would have been able to take advantage of the, the trips, the international trips and all that stuff in law school. In law school, I was part of the Sports Lawyers Association, but I should have been a part of Beazla too. But the contacts that I made in both of those organizations, they helped me when I moved to California. They helped me get materials for the bar. They helped me with a lot of stuff. And then also like it was just tremendous the amount of assistance I got. Um, even to this day, I represent some of the lawyers in Beesla. And what? then they send me clients. Like, I I'm, I'm actually have a case uh, coming up that I'm working with another young lawyer there who also owns his own firm and has owned his own litigation firm almost as long as I've owned mine. Actually, wow. I think we started our firms the same year. Now we're doing a litigation case together. Like, these are my networks. One of my board members for my nonprofit is a young lawyer from Beesla. Like my mentors from Beesla have helped me to be the lawyer that I am. So if you are a law student interested in sports and entertainment, and you you don't have to be African American, but it's geared towards Black students, right. you need to join Beesla because literally, I am. I've met um, the president of BT all of the vice presidents of BT and Viacom I've sat there. Like I just did a panel with, um, with um, a former NFL player, a few former NFL players I met through Beesla. I met at their conferences Oh, and their conferences are always international. So our first conference was in Jamaica and I went oh, to that conference. Then del- we went to Cabo, Mexico. <laughs> then we went to Jamaica again. I missed the Panama conference, uh, In 2019. But I'm hoping they pull it back because we had a virtual conference last year. I love them, but it's not the same. But it's literally some of the best times of my life. And of course, it's a write off because I own my own firm. So it's like, (laughs) but uh, yeah, literally, they have given me the tools and now it's literally to the point that they send me clients. I represent Beasley members now. There are lawyers, like if they can't take on cases, they know I can, and they know I have a flexible payment plan. So if they know someone can't afford a big law firm that they work for, they send them to me. So literally I started my firm in Michigan. And then after about one or two more polar vortexes, I said, I can't do this anymore. And, uh, one of my clients, um, was a, uh, he was my first client. He was still in Michigan at the time, but he uh, needed someone to review his Harlem Globe Charter deal. And I reviewed it literally right after, literally just passed the Michigan bar, Like, And I reviewed his deal, got him um, that contract with the Globe Charters. And then he had moved to LA and was like, hey, come out here. He introduced me to LA. I had always wanted to be out here. I applied to every law school in California and then... <laughs> Almost, but it was like, I'd always wanted to be out here. But once you take the Michigan bar, you think you're stuck in the state that you right, take the bar yeah. in and everybody knows the monster known as the California bar. So mm-hmm. nobody's trying to deal with that. Right. So yeah, what ended up happening was I came out here, fell in love with the, the city, really thought I could do it. I felt the bar because I tried to take it from Michigan, failed the bar. I thought I had to come out, out here, came out here. Moved out here, failed the bar again.
0: The, the California bar. bar.
1: Yeah, failed the California yeah. bar twice mm-hmm. at that point. And then uh, took it a third time. This was still when it was a three-day test. Took it the third time, failed by three points. One MBE oh. question. Uh, so then I, uh, after that, they turned it into a two-day exam. So failed it the fourth time. Because, of course, I'm second guessing everything because I failed. Right. Because you failed. Yeah. Right. So I failed by 57 points then. Failed failed it a fifth time. Like, I think I took a break then. Failed it a fifth time and it broke my heart. Nope. I failed the fifth time. Then I took a break. So broke my heart. Like, mind you, I moved out here on faith that I can bring a second law firm location uh, to California. But you can't practice law until you passed the bar, but I was able, there were loopholes. Like I practiced, like I could, I started getting into trademarks and copyrights and stuff because it's federal. Uh, so to have clients with that, my Michigan clients were still growing, but it it was like, I had to pick up a lot of different contract work. Uh, so that I, until I got my California license Right. and then, and I couldn't pass. And I was like, what is going on? I, I am smarter than this damn test. And I felt so then right before the sixth time I took it and now I've, I've been licensed in Michigan for five years at this
0: right, point. Right, right. You're a lawyer already. So now,
1: <laughs> so now I qualify for the attorney's bar, which is an abbreviated version. You had to been licensed and practicing for full four, four full years before oh. uh, you can do that. So I have been practicing in Michigan for four full years on my own. And so, yeah, what ended up happening was I sprained my neck three days before the bar. Flat ironing my hair. flat ironing my hair, turned my neck. Had a cast, had a neck brace, had muscle spasms to the point I couldn't move my finger without my uh, my muscle spasm. And of course, felt that bar because I couldn't turn my face. It was, the neck. <laughs> it was my back. What it
0: in the world? Went,
1: I went through the worst (laughs) year of my life. I had a cancer scare that year. I felt like I was going to be homeless because, you know, the cost of living going up. I'm doing all this temporary contract work and then trying to study for the bar and practice law and do all these different things. And you talk about obstacles and feeling like you can't do anything. I wanted to practice law in California and moved my body to California and couldn't practice law because I couldn't pass the bar. And six times after six times, you like, I I got to come up with something. Maybe it's not for me. Right. After Fourth Time, I had created... like I was watching this uh, Netflix movie called Amateur. Um, And the guy who played Tyreek was in that movie. And it came up with a concept of what I've had to work with my clients on about like they don't understand the rules of eligibility. They don't understand NCAA compliance. A lot of them don't understand contracts. They don't understand agents. They don't understand how... They make so many missteps that they end up ruining their careers before they even get the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's where Dual Threat Preparatory Academy came up for. I came up with that concept in the process of failing the bar so many times because I'm like, what am I going to do if I can't practice?
0: And so that's one of your other businesses.
1: Yeah, that's my nonprofit.
0: So it's an
1: educational program for student-athletes. And, of course, it will go bigger one day. But for student-athletes to teach them the game inside the game. So it will teach them everything. Like even since then, I've grown it to uh, literally. It just started in 2021, so we we. I mean, it it's just, perfect.
0: It's perfect timing.
1: Oh yeah, so it's like it's gonna teach them amateurism, sexual harassment, mental health. It's going to teach teach them everything they need to know from sixth grade. Through professional sports, if they decide to do professional right. sports. So, they will know how to brand themselves. They would know how to market themselves, how to capitalize off their likeness and their image. They'll know how not to do stupid stuff like send penis pictures to women that's going to go spread all over the internet and ruin your brand. This is the type of stuff that I want to make sure the next generation of yeah. athletes know. And then I'm working on a software company to work in conjunction with that. That will be a for-profit company. But I can't disclose that information because it's right, still flying right. under radar. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll come back and interview you after yeah, that has come through, that. through so we can, so we can hear more about that.
1: But literally, that I finally passed the California bar. In, I found that I passed November 2019. Wow, okay. I started taking it. February, 2016. Jesus. But it happened. And yeah. Finally, finally, finally. And it took me giving up and being like, you know what? It may not be meant for me, but the way my brain works is there's no such thing as not meant for me. It just mm-hmm. meant it wasn't at that time. So I, I reanalyzed how I looked at the test. I took it as if I had never taken it before. And I actually, my 30th birthday was right before I took the bar. Literally, my birthday is July 26th. It always falls either the week of the bar or a couple of days before. Right, And just like the Michigan bar, it happened four days before. I went to Vegas. <laughs> I was not, I enjoyed my 30th birthday. I went to Vegas and then came back, took the bar. I passed that bar. But the crazy part is because a character and fitness had expired, Because it took me so long to take it. I had to get it reanalyzed. So I wasn't approved to be sworn in until March 2020. Oh, wow. So I passed, I thought I passed November 2019. And I was sworn in March 4th or 5th. I think it's the 5th. March 5th, 2020. They shut down the world 10 days later. 10 days later. So, (laughs) So literally... Uh, they shut down the world 10 days later and the crazy thing is I did it like legit. I passed the bar. I grew my company. Now I have serviced over 85 clients between two states.
0: All together.
1: All together. My Michigan firm has been up since um, September 28th, 2015 and then I started my California location officially September 25th 2020 so between both locations now i have worked with over 85 clients wow. on and me- practicing in music law fashion law uh, fi- tv and film sports um, I've worked in uh, the tech space. I have tech companies, hair care companies, clothing lines. I've worked uh, with trademarks. I'm a, really a trademark attorney, help protecting their brands. I've done copyrights. I've done business formations for like branding companies, marketing companies, lock companies, like just all over the board. I service I need to know so much law is ridiculous. And now I'm starting to get into the cannabis space um, because oh. entertainers need to know that. So I've been uh, taking the right. CLEs and um, stuff to get well-versed in cannabis law. But at the end of the day, they need to just take it off the schedule one list and then it'll be a lot easier, but that's a whole <laughs> nother conversation. But yeah, you talk about perseverance. Yeah. Thinking and that
0: grit, you- resilience.
1: Yeah. And I've been told, like, I probably shouldn't tell people I failed the bar seven times or six times, but it's a part of my story. And mm-hmm. it's and I want the people because the average time people take the California bars four times. Now, what hurts my feelings is the California Supreme Court had ruled while I was taking it that the, the cut score was unconscionable. And, but they waited until 2020. To actually implement that. And so the fact that they lowered the cut score and now they apply it going back to twenty fifteen. So had I waited, I would have passed the bar. (laughs) Anyway. So but I passed, I been practicing i've done more business in the last like 2020 was my best business year um 2021 is looking to eclipse that wow. um and then i added two more companies to my repertoire in 2021 so you'll be hearing more and more about that so now i really okay, we definitely have
0: like text. we have like a part two and a part three Maybe in part four from all the things we discussed and we we're like, oh, that's a different conversation. That's a different conversation. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I literally could do a whole legal podcast uh, because that's literally how many different passions I have. I'm an advocate for helping pull up people because somebody reached out and helped me. So it's my job yeah. to reach back and help people. So like I when you reached out and was like, hey, I need uh, want to do an alum profile podcast. Absolutely. Like, you can give out my phone number, email address. I'm down to helping anyone, especially the people who look like me who are struggling, because yes. nobody should have to go through the hell I went through in law school. Nobody should have to do that.
0: Thanks for joining me today. That's all from us here at the Podpaket. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our senior editors are myself, Olivia Ashe, Emmett Harrington, and Lenny Reinhardt. Our associate editors are Christy Paredes and Maria Polowitz. Our editor-in-chief is Leanne Johnson. Special thanks to Professor John Dean for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.